Well, for those of you that were expecting to hear a message out of First John this morning, um, that's not going to happen. So, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to hear Pastor Patrick's message from First John 3 on why Jesus was born. Um, at 7 o'clock this morning when my alarm went off, I'm stretching in bed and petting the dog and getting ready to get up and come and set up for this morning, and the phone rings. And I'm thinking to myself, whenever the phone rings that early in the morning, it's never a good sign. So I, you know, Mrs. Nix jumps out of bed, runs, grabs the phone, comes back in. Carrie needs to talk to you. Oh, no. I know what this means. And unfortunately, got the news at 7 a.m. because I ignored a phone call at 3 a.m. thinking, who would possibly call me at 3 a.m.? And unfortunately, I didn't have as much time as I would have liked to develop this message, but we are going to have a wonderful time in the Word this morning from some very familiar passages that we've already read. We read in Family Bible Hour. We read this morning. You've heard them read. And we're going to look at the cost of Christmas. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, the cost of Christmas. Think about Christmas, and and you think about how it has become so secularized. You think about how it has become so commercialized, right? Christmas begins when? July, right? I mean, it begins in July. Hallmark is putting out their Christmas ornaments in July. And then all of a sudden, Black Friday arrives, and everybody's got to go out on Black Friday. And and what do they want to do on Black Friday? Spend money, right? It takes cost. It takes time. It takes travel. It takes money to buy presents. Putting food on the table, right? We're going to have Christmas parties. How many Christmas parties have we been to already? And it's not even Christmas yet. I've, I've at least been to three, you know. And, and all of those parties cost money. It costs time. It costs travel, gas. What about the decorations, right? All of those, you've got to buy decorations. You've got to get those hung. I mean, we have this beautiful tree here. There's a cost involved in all of that. And, and sometimes we don't think about that. We don't count the cost. And we don't think about the money, per se. What did it cost God? What did it cost Joseph? What did it cost Mary on that first Christmas? What I'd like to do this morning with you is just look at the cost to Mary the cost to Joseph, and ultimately the cost to our Father, God, for Christmas. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 26 through 38. We're just going to be in there just for a second, and then we're going to jump over to Matthew, and then we'll be back in Luke this morning. Luke 1, verses 26 to 38, says this. And you've already heard it this morning. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. 
The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So what did this encounter with the angel at this time in her life cost Mary? I would like to submit to you that this event cost Mary her reputation. This cost Mary her reputation. Mary was a young woman. She was of marriageable age. She had never known a man. She was a virgin. She was pure in every way, shape, and form that you could be. She loved the Lord. And as you see in in Luke, there is this song later on in the chapter, starting in verse 46. We call it the Magnificat. And it is a song of praise that Mary sings to the Lord about all that she is learning about what this means to her. But ultimately... Her becoming pregnant before marriage cost her her reputation. Jesus was revealed to her as the Son of God in three different ways in this passage as you look at this. So this young teenage girl has this incredible vision, an incredible encounter with an angel And she is told that you are going to bear in your body the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And there's three different ways that it was revealed to her. Look at verse 32. First, he is going to be the Davidic Messiah. He will be and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Everybody in Israel was looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Savior. They needed to be released from the bondage and oppression of of Rome at this time. They wanted freedom. And so they needed a Savior. Even Mary was looking for this Savior. She was waiting for the Messiah to come. And it was revealed to her that you have been the chosen one. You are the one that is going to bear this Messiah, this Savior, And he is going to sit on the Davidic throne. And when you look at the genealogies in Luke and Matthew, and you wonder, why are they so different? One is legal. One is ancestral. And both of them together point that Jesus is the perfect candidate to fulfill that role as Davidic king. The Messiah we know from prophecy is going to be along the line of David. It's going to come from David's line. Both Mary and Joseph have lineage back to David. The second way the Messiah was revealed to her is that he's going to be an eternal king in verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. 
we know from Revelation, looking at Revelation, that the lion-like lamb or the lamb-like lion is the one who was worthy to open the seals. He is the one that is at the throne room, is standing behind and in front of the throne of God. That is Jesus, our Messiah, and his kingdom will have no end. And the third thing that was revealed to Mary is that he is the Holy One. Look at verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. This is no ordinary child. This is a set-apart child. This is a special child. This is a perfect child. This is a sinless child. Not conceived in sin. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Supernatural implantation of an embryo in Mary's womb so that she would be able to go through nine months of gestation and birth the Son of God. After she gets this revealed to her, there is a cost that she has to consider. There is a cost that comes with this revelation. She can fight it. Remember Moses back in Exodus at the burning bush? I'm going to send you to set my people free. And what does Moses do? Oh, no, don't send me. I can't speak well. Oh, no, don't send me. I'm not good at public speaking. Oh, no, don't send me. I'm old. Oh, no, don't send. Excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. Finally, the Lord says, no, go. You're going. End of story. Mary could have done the same thing. I'm just a teenager. How is this possible? There's no way that I can do this. I have all these friends, all these family obligations and responsibilities. And and do you realize what you're asking me to do? Yes. Yes, I do. But she doesn't do that. Instead, she considers the cost of, to her reputation. She considers the cost of understanding what God has revealed to her about this child. And she responds down in verse in verse uh, 38. Mary said, "Behold the slave of the Lord." Some of your translations might say servant, might say maidservant, might say bond slave. If you're inclined to write in your Bible, cross those words out. The word here is slave. Mary understood her role. Mary understood what it was going to cost her. To be the mother of the Son of God was going to cost her her reputation in the community, her reputation with her family, her reputation even with Joseph's family. And yet she was willing to submit to the Lord of lords and become the slave of the Lord. What can a slave do of their own volition? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They are totally committed to the master's commands. They do everything that the master tells them to do when the master tells them to do it. And that's what she says. And she says, may it done to me, may it be done to me according to your word. Wow. Her response just blows me away. When I look around and I look at teenagers today, I look at college students today, and I look at these people, 
and I think about all of the things that they have opportunity to do, would any of them submit to the Lord in this way? When we are involved in something that might put our reputation at stake for the sake of the Lord, how do we respond? How would we respond if we were put into this situation? Would we be able to respond and say, I am your slave, Lord. May it be done according to your word. Because that's what Mary did. And it cost her her reputation among her friends, her family, and ultimately even Joseph's family. Why do we know that? Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. The second cost... Of Christmas. Not only did it cost Mary her reputation, but it cost Joseph his reputation as well. Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Look at this. We've read this again, and I'd like to just continue to read it again. We can't hear the Word of God enough, I don't think. Matthew writes Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son And he called his name Jesus. Why do we know this cost Joseph his reputation? We we have some clues in this in this passage about his reputation. Look at this the kind of man that he is, that that Matthew describes him as. Verse nineteen. He is a righteous man. Joseph has an uprightness that stands out among the, among the community. He wouldn't be called a righteous man for nothing. So he has some kind of standing, some kind of influence among the community in which he lives. Secondly, he's a wise man. Verse 20, when he had considered this, So obviously, he was not somebody that makes rash decisions. He wasn't going to rush to judgment on his betrothed and just make a public spectacle of her. He was going to make sure that he considered every angle. He was going to consider all of the options, all of the possibilities. He wanted to make sure that somehow, some way, Mary was able to survive this scandal. And it was a scandal. A young teenage girl marrying an an established businessman in the community all of a sudden goes away after the betrothal and comes back pregnant, showing 
clearly something happened. Everybody in the community is going to be talking behind their back. Did they engage in, in, uh, in unifying their marriage and consummating their marriage before they had the marriage ceremony? That, that's, that's, a, that's fornication. That's not possible. Or did Mary commit adultery when she was away down in Jerusalem visiting her relatives? That's horrible. How could she do that to Joseph? Either way, Joseph's reputation was gone. He's now involved with a young woman of marriageable age who is a virgin who's now pregnant. His reputation is undermined. And yet, this righteous, wise man does something unprecedented within the Jewish community. Absolutely unprecedented. He wanted to make sure that he put her away secretly, but instead, he does something else. Look at verses 24 and 25. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife. This righteous man who considered all the options and all the angles to try and figure out how to deal with this scandal privately, instead publicly obeyed the Lord and took Mary as his bride while she was pregnant in a very public ceremony, making a covenant before God that he would be her husband. Mary had already lost her reputation, pregnant before being married. Now Joseph has lost his reputation also, marrying a pregnant young woman and knowing that that child is not his child. Why would he do that? How much does our secular reputation matter to us? How much does our secular reputation matter to an eternal God? What really matters? Ultimately, obedience matters. God wants obedience. He desires obedience over sacrifice. He wants us to listen to the words of his voice, to listen to his scripture, and to obey it and to do it. Over and over and over and over in Deuteronomy, when the children of Israel are getting ready to enter the land of Canaan to take it over. Moses is telling them, and you will obey the statutes and the ordinances and the instructions and the teachings and the laws of your God. You will obey and do. If you obey and do, there are blessings for that. If you disobey, there are cursings. Joseph knew this. Joseph was a wise man. Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph considered all of this. He understood what he needed to do. And he obeyed God to the cost of his reputation. Well, not only did it cost Mary her reputation and Joseph his reputation, but ultimately also it cost Joseph his business. The third cost that we can see in Scripture is that it cost Joseph his business. Look at Luke 2, going back to Luke 2. Luke 2, verses 13 to 15. 
And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude. Uh, is that right? Or is it... Um, wrote my, I may have wrote my reference down wrong. Yes, I'm sorry. It's not Luke 2. It's Matthew 2. I messed it up. Sorry about that. Matthew 2, verses 13 to 15. Matthew 2, verses 13 to 15. Now, when they had gone, when all the shepherds, all the people that were um, at the manger scene, after they'd been in Bethlehem for a couple of years, after the Magi came from the east, when all of these people were gone, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Having this child, living with Mary, marrying her, and raising this child as his own son cost him his business because ultimately Herod knew who this child was, who this usurper was. He was going to come and take the throne from him. Herod was a guy that was not a nice man. He loved power. He loved being in a position of power and having total control. And when he saw this caravan of magi coming from the east, these kingmakers with their incredible gifts, guarded by bodyguards of all sorts, he and all of Jerusalem was afraid. And he had a plot. He wanted to figure out, where is this child? Because I can't have a rival. I can't have a rival. They've been there a couple of years now, Mary and Joseph. Joseph likely, being a carpenter, established a new business there in Bethlehem. Probably went back to Nazareth, got his his tools, got his stuff, came back down to Bethlehem, established himself in a business, being able to live in a house. Again, this this is in a house. This is not a manger scene anymore. They're now in a house. They're established. They're in the community. And literally, the angel says to Joseph, again, another dream, another angel message, says, get up and get out. And what does Joseph do? I remember what happened the first time. Guess what? I'm going to do it again. And he gets up and he takes his family and he gets out. Have you ever wondered why there were three different types of gifts mentioned? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Because all of those gifts were very valuable. And if you had to bug out of Jerusalem or bug out of Bethlehem, and get to Egypt, what were you going to be able to do as a Jewish carpenter in Egypt in the first century? Pretty much nothing. You weren't going to get a job. You weren't going to have a trade. You weren't going to be a part of the royal palace. You weren't going to be a person of influence at all. So how were you going to survive down there? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God's providential protection of his son cost Joseph his business. Cost him his business. He had to leave everything behind. Leave the house. Leave the tools. Leave the the clientele. Everything was gone. 
how am I supposed to take care of this family, Lord, that you've given me? How am I supposed to take care of this young woman, this child? I've got nothing. And yet he had everything he needed in that gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God providentially took care of his son through Joseph's obedience. It cost Mary her reputation. It cost Joseph his reputation. It cost Joseph his job, his business, his livelihood. And fourthly, it cost Joseph and his family security and stability. It cost Joseph and his family security and stability. How many people here love security and stability in a job, in a house, in a living situation, insurance, life insurance, 401k, savings account, emergency fund? It's, right? We love that. We love that. Guess what? Joseph didn't have that. Joseph and Mary didn't have that. They were literally on the run from Herod. And then when they finally hear that Herod dies, look at what Luke tells us in Luke 2, verses 19 through 23. I'm sorry, again, Matthew. Man, I want to stay in Luke, but I were in Matthew. Matthew 2, 19 to 23. I misled Jeff also with the slides. Sorry about that. Matthew 2, 19 to 23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. This cost Joseph and his family security and stability because even Herod's successor wanted to kill this baby. So instead of staying in Jerusalem or staying in Bethlehem near Jerusalem, staying in the region where Archelaus was reigning, they went back up to Galilee and went back to their hometown, to Nazareth. What kind of a reception do you think they had in their hometown? Oh, there you are. You, the one that married this adulterous woman and had an illegitimate child. We don't want you to be a part of our family. What does Mary's family say? We don't want you to be a part of our family. What did his former clients say? I'm not going to have some fornicator working for me. So what did Joseph have to do to provide for his family during this time? You know what? Scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't tell us. But you can only imagine somebody who married someone of no reputation, who lost his own reputation, who lost his business, who now has no security, no stability, had to really work hard to somehow build relationships somewhere, some way, maybe with the Gentile community, maybe building things for the Romans. Somehow, as a carpenter, he had to provide for his family. And he did. We're not told anything about what happened to Joseph 
after this point. All we know is that Jesus grew up. He grew in favor with God and men. We know that as a child, he traveled to Jerusalem with his parents. He was at least 12 or 13 years old when that happened. So Joseph was around for much of Jesus' childhood as he grew up. Likely taught him the trade. But he had to work really hard. It cost Mary her reputation. It cost Joseph his reputation. It cost Joseph his business. It cost Joseph and his family the security and stability that all families want. How would we respond in that same situation? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic book, Cost of Discipleship, said this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. That's what it costs. Jim Elliott said this, missionary to the Aka Indians down in South America, said this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. And we know what happened to Jim Elliott as he was wanting to preach the gospel and let the light shine in a very dark place cost him his life. Well, ultimately, we know what the ultimate cost of Christmas was. The ultimate cost of Christmas, number five, is that it cost God his son. It cost God the Father his son on the, on the cross. You know the crucifixion stories. You know about Peter's denial, the arrest, the beatings. And you know, ultimately, in Matthew 27, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, verse 45 says this, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I couldn't even imagine what it cost God. To forsake his son on that cross. To put my sin on his son. And take his son's righteousness and place it upon me. It cost God his son. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin. To be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the ultimate cost of Christmas. The cost that Jesus was born to die. You've heard the song. You hear it all the time on the radio. Mary, did you know? Did you know that your baby boy was born to save a nation.
is the ultimate cost. So when we consider the cost of Christmas, what is it that we consider? Do we consider what God has done for us? Sending his son to be born of a virgin. To be raised up in a a home where the law was fulfilled. So that he could live a perfect life and die a perfect death. That's the cost of Christmas. And that's what it should cost us. As we focus on Christ during this time of year, that we might focus on all that the Father has done and all that Christ accomplished on that cross on our behalf to save sinners. God created us to have a relationship with him. Unfortunately, we're so knuckleheaded that we broke that relationship. And it was irrevocably broken until he reached down through the birth of his son to reconcile us and bridge that gap with the cross so that we might have life through his son. The cost of Christmas is more than a reputation. It's more than a business. It's more than security. It meant everything to God. This Christmas season, hopefully, it can mean everything to us as well as we celebrate the joyful, indestructible joy that Christ brings into our lives. We have the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you don't know him that way, come and talk to me afterwards because I want you to know him who gave everything for us. I think the worship team is going to come up and we're going to do one more song. Is that right? Excellent. Why don't you pray with me as the worship team comes up and we're going to prepare our hearts for one more song this morning. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to spend in your word and to spend time together singing these great songs that just teach our hearts and and minister to our hearts and just help us to think biblically about this time of year. It's so easy to get sidetracked and so easy to get distracted with all of the, the trappings of Christmas, all of the commercialism, all the secular um, things that are just so easy to, to fall into. But Lord, Christmas costs you everything. And it is such a blessing to know that you were willing to do that because you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, help our unbelief. Help us to trust in your Son and your Son alone for our salvation, knowing that he was born to die, to die for sin and to die for sinners. We love you. We thank you for this time. And we ask that you would be honored and glorified as we worship you through song again this morning. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.